welcome everybody to our Behind the Fluff, Inspiring the Next CMO podcast series. Now you'll find lots of fantastic resources on our website, www.internationalbunch.com, be inspired. Today, I would like to welcome Suzanne Bedell. Suzanne is an industry senior exec, and um, we used to work together several years ago at ProQuest. Hello, Suzanne. Hello, Lou. So delighted to have you here today. I'm getting comfy now because I know that this uh, is going to be a good one. Getting... <laughs> Strap uh, in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, before we get started, I've got a question for you. We have a campaign that we do called hashtag Int Word of the Day. And what we love to do is we love to hear the um, favorite words of the community. So what is your favorite word and why? Oh, well... My favorite word is two words. It's probably one word in some languages, but mm-hmm. in English, it's summer afternoon. And mm-hmm. we're in August here uh, when we're recording this podcast. And I'm hoping many days, many people are going to go away on holiday. I've just gotten back from mine. And to me, summer afternoon means you know, hammocks and reading and days at the lake and getting ready for dinner with family and friends. It's it's that long, lovely light. Um, so it's just a beautiful, it's just a beautiful thought for me. And uh, so my favorite words. I think that that brings a lot of positiveness to me when I hear that. I think, I think like you, and I think I, I grew up my teenage years in Malta and it actually makes me think of, you know, being in Malta and going to the beach and, Oh, just sun and it's heavenly relaxing and oh, just nice chilled thoughts. Yeah, so I'm I'm sending that out to everybody, you know, some summer summer afternoon. Yeah, into your day. (laughs) I love it. Um, Unless, of course, you're in like New Zealand or Australia where it's winter for them right now. But, you know, well, that's right. They'll be dreaming of those summer afternoons. Yeah, it'll be it'll be around soon enough. Exactly. Okay, so first things first. Now, we'd love to know a bit more about you. Obviously, recently in the industry, um, I know that you did uh, a podcast with um, Scholarly Kitchen, and um, you've just retired from Elsevier, which is very exciting in the respect of just, you know, being able to breathe and have a life without work. Um, Though I know that you'll have still have a bit of work in there every now and again. So, um, what is the best thing that you have discovered in this last year, or it could even be last year and a half, because it's been such an odd year with COVID-19? Yeah, yeah, it has been an odd year, uh, for sure. Well, the power of just what we're doing right now, virtual and video, it um, it really, I think we've all discovered it. And uh, it, when I was um, still working at Elsevier, it allowed me to connect with people that I would only be able to connect with when I traveled. Um, of course, I miss traveling to the fabulous places that we have offices in, but it really, it, yeah, it was surprising how effective it could be. Even we had a big three-day meeting and got rave reviews. One of the things, Lou, I discovered just today, and I should have discovered it earlier in preparation for this video um, podcast, was the great resources that you have on your website about how to <laughs> how to get ready for, you know, video uh, um, being virtual with the kit, as you call it. And I didn't realize that there were so many great tools that you could have yeah you know like the script readers and stuff and oh yeah um so I you know that I was like wow I wish I would have spent a little time to to figure that out when I was really in the thick of it because that would have been super helpful um but Check along you the, out looking at our website very yeah, good. I, I, yeah oh, it's really helpful Lou I mean I think that's yeah, super. Anybody that's doing this kind of thing needs to needs to check it out. Yeah. But um, the thing that I discovered that for myself is kind of the same. I've been doing uh, 
streaming uh, yoga courses from this yeah. great studio in, in Boston. And um, wherever I am, I'm able to do it with these world-class teachers. So um, yeah, that, that's been the benefit uh, of, of this whole weird uh, year and a half is, yeah. is the power of, of virtual and video. Yeah, the virtual side has massively accelerated, hasn't it? And, you know, these services that we were all kind of trialing and testing before suddenly exploded, like Zoom, for example, that we're using today. And it's really interesting when you look at Teams or even like Google Hangouts, how those other services have also had to accelerate their development plans and really become competitive with services like Zoom. I think one of the yeah. most annoying things for me with Zoom last year was that support would take about three months to come back to you because they were so inundated yeah. and so busy. Yeah. And you're like, I'm paying you. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. it just it it shows the the challenges. We I've never unfortunately I've never really had this problem because I've worked in book publishing most of my career, but yeah. it must be as hard to be in a business that's growing super fast uh, than that's got to be a really hard business challenge. Uh, yeah. And overnight, everybody was Zooming, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. And you'd see it everywhere and people would be talking about it. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's incredible. The things that are available to us now that weren't or were a bit more basic. And uh, that's certainly been great. And it would be really interesting to see how virtual events continue and also yeah. the improvements that can happen there because... I think there's a lot of scope. And for me, the problem with events is that often people try to replicate a physical event in a virtual structure. And actually, you've got these two very different ways of delivering yeah. something. And actually, why not just really look at this virtual way of doing an event? And are there things that you couldn't do in a physical environment that you can really exploit and take advantage of? Um, so I think that'll be quite exciting in the future. But yeah, you're right. That connectivity and um, just being able to meet more people and just being able to connect with more people has been astounding. Yeah, and in, in, in a much more kind of um, democratic way too, yeah. you know, because you can uh, get into Zoom calls and there will be a variety of people. And I just find myself interacting with people that I probably wouldn't in a physical yeah. environment. So, yeah. it's, I, but I agree with you. There's opportunity there, but you can't replicate what we were doing. In, in a physical way. It's, oh, yes. It's, the networking side. It. Yeah. yeah. I've never yeah. really found a virtual networking solution that is is as good as meeting someone face-to-face -face and having a drink and just having a chat about, you know, whatever. Nothing ever. Well, there is a, a wonderful person that I work with at Elsevier named Gabby Appleton, who has gone to the exhibits business at Relax it, with, in, a, in a product role. And um, I... So I, I'm sure we'll start seeing a lot of innovation from yeah. the industry, um, you know, because what necessity is the mother of invention, right? Yeah. And if any industry needs it, it's it's that one. Yeah, I think maybe we'll actually have to have our own drinks here, but we'll wear like a suit. So when we go to <laughs> shake hands with someone, we'll actually feel the handshaking and we'll be like, this is amazing. We'll just stay like this for ages. <laughs> <laughs> who knows the possibilities are endless and then there'll be like no travel so yeah we'll all be sitting in our rooms drinking our, our wine and virtually handshaking and we'll have like virtual what are they called avatars so so actually what oh. I look like is like probably what I'd really love to look like but actually yeah I'm you could look I'm, better yeah I'm sure there's a film yeah. like that isn't there <laughs> uh, probably probably so, who inspires you? I'd love to know this. Well, you know, this is a hard, it's, you know, I'm inspired as I'm sure everybody is in so many different ways by so many different, and, and but I think that when I was thinking about it, it, it was really people that are true to themselves and, um, and, and there's, there's, a couple of great examples. One, everybody knows, uh, Simone Beals, who has, um, or Biles, I'm probably saying it incorrectly, uh, who is, uh, 
I think, um, such a topic of conversation because we all had such uh, high hopes in the U.S. at least yeah. about her Olympic um, performance. And then she made the decision that it wasn't in her best interest to proceed, stepped out, stepped back, and then was able to come back and ultimately win a bronze. Uh, and just that, just that kind of, um, that's inspirational to me because she was thinking about what was important to her and what she needed to do and not just yeah. trying to meet the expectations, unrealistic expectations of others. And in a much more kind of at home way, uh, we were just talking about Simon Holt as we were talking about getting the video transcription set up for this podcast. And Simon, who is the person that interviewed me at Scholarly Kitchen, yes. has been um, so inspirational to me because he's taken uh, his own personal disability and used it to start a conversation in the industry mm-hmm. that's really, really helped us all to think about um, accessibility and what we need to be doing better. Uh, and he's so brave in doing that and so thoughtful. And yeah. he really puts himself out there. Um, and uh, that's very that that that's very inspirational uh, to me as well. Yeah, he's very impressive. And what I like about Simon is that he likes to challenge or he'll give you a different perspective and it makes you think, ah, oh, you know, I didn't really think about that. That's really interesting. And sometimes when I've spoken to him, I've been really fortunate that I've then gone into like a call on one of my committee roles um, talking about EDI. And then yeah. I'll, because I've literally just talked to him, I'll give the specific feedback that him and I have been talking about in that to hopefully then empower and have other people thinking about the things that he just made me think about. So yeah, yeah. he is yeah. very impressive. Yeah, and inspirational. And and we, you know, as an industry, we just have to do a better job at yeah. bringing in those in, in those voices. And he's models that that so well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when you were young, what did you want to be? Uh, yeah, you know, I was thinking about this, Lou, and um I I was young during uh, a uh, when when we first landed on the moon, and I thought that idea of space exploration would mm. be uh, just you know being an astronaut. Wow, what a cool thing that would be! Uh, of course, that was in an era when you know women really you know women weren't astronauts. Um, yeah, we I didn't never, have the same opportunities then, did we? That we yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, not not at all. And so it was. I was thinking about that. It was still. It was at the beginning of that time of, but there was still very much a women's kind of roles. Although yeah. I was not, I, I certainly didn't have that kind of funneling at home. Um, but uh, I always loved books, you know. And so I mean, that's <laughs> not. It's that's you know probably. Uh, getting into publishing, I knew I wanted to do something with writing from a yeah. pretty early age. Surprised you didn't go into space exploration in, you know, as a subject area. Yes. Well, we, I, when I got to Elsevier, uh, I was like, just think about what's happening. There's so much, there's yeah. so much potential here, but it's a, it's a, it's a difficult area to publish in. It's, um, it's, uh, but yes, uh, and, but I do enjoy reading. Uh, I, well, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's yes. um, what yeah. we're learning. You can learn so much, especially when you read things that you're passionate about as well. It's a wonderful way to digest information. I'm, yeah. I'm more of a listener than a reader. I love um, I, podcasts and or I love listening to audiobooks. That's my thing. Yes. Um, well, I, that was a, a thing that I have to do is I was talking to a friend yesterday and she said that she's using her library app to check out um, audiobooks. Yeah. Uh, and so I have to get that set up because I love to listen to books, too. I think and you have to, way. you know, have to support our local libraries, don't we? Uh, of course. You, though, now you say that it's really interesting because certainly here in the UK, when we had this, the 
um, lockdowns and um, libraries, public libraries were closed. And then public libraries were trying to say, you know, we may not be open physically, but we actually can still have access to online resources. And they would have um, subscriptions to services like BorrowBox and things like that, but they would have like one user um, per book kind of licenses. So it was really interesting because of the explosion that happened with audiobooks from public services yeah. that they then yeah, had yeah. to adjust those. And uh, it'll be really interesting to see the future of libraries um, as we go back to more normality and whether the uptake of audiobooks and that kind of thing will still continue. But I hope that people will actually have a look at to see what services that they get online from their libraries because it's not about measuring footfall anymore. It's, it would be oh, yeah. actually measuring usage. Yeah, yes. Well, I, I love libraries and yeah. our time at ProQuest, you can't leave ProQuest without really having such a deep yeah. appreciation for them. And I, I was just in the Boston Public Library the other day in their wow. magnificent reading room. And Lou, it was as full as I've ever seen oh, it. So fantastic. Yeah, I, you know, I think part of it may be as people are coming out of lockdown for better or for worse right now, given um, the explosion of the Delta variant, you know, people yeah. are looking for, for kind of spaces to physically yeah. reconnect. Um, yeah. We could have a whole conversation about the value of libraries because they just are and how they are in different settings. They're fantastic places. And yeah, I think certainly for me, ProQuest really cemented like you, my love of libraries and the huge appreciation that we have for the information professional community and all that they do. Um, oh, yeah. and, and I maybe they don't often realize, you know, when we work in a service provider, we do really recognize that. And the stuff that we read and the people that we're seeing at these conferences and doing talks and stuff, it's just absolutely fascinating, but a highly complex industry, as we both oh, know. Oh, yeah. Like publishing. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, just that, you know, single user, the business models and, and, and the drive to figure out models that both, you know, give the librarian what they want, but then yeah. also um, can pay for the cost of creating the content and, um, yeah. and paying the royalties to the author. It's, it's a constant, it's a constant dance. Yeah. Uh, and but I think both sides make the other better, uh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. We could, we could definitely talk about libraries for a long time. <laughs> so if you were to have dinner tonight with anybody in the world, absolutely anybody, alive, dead, who would it be? So, well, one of the, um, one of the, uh, everything about retirement has been, Fantastic uh, for the last month, but I left with um, saying goodbye in person to only a handful of people in uh, in my in the Cambridge office because of because of COVID. So if I could have dinner with anybody, it would be my uh, my team at Elsevier, oh. all all of my friends at Elsevier. We would have a huge party. Uh, with a big dinner and then dancing afterwards and uh, it would be it would be a lot of fun sounds um, like a conference to me that it <laughs> is like yeah aka editorial retreat right <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> oh that sounds brilliant and I bet yeah. that's going to really touch a lot of hearts with your ex-colleagues oh. oh yeah that was uh, the one thing that I missed so uh, that, but that's definitely what it would be. Oh, fabulous. So, okay, let's talk about your career um, because you still have a career. And so how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, well, um, I started as a marketing assistant uh, at, a, at a small family owned um, publishing company in Houston. And that was such a great uh, opportunity because it was only about 20 people in this little, um, it, was, it was a little oil and gas publisher and we did professional reference. And we, I got to see the whole process, you know, from ideation, commissioning, development, 
you know, I, because all of the meetings, it was such a small space, all of the meetings were held in this kind of common area where my desk also was. So yeah. I, um, it was a great foundation. And um, I went on to sales and at uh, McGraw-Hill uh, as a book rep, which uh, for the mm. college division, which in, in those in those days, I sound so old, but most, you know, <laughs> to get into academic publishing, in the, good old days. Of, in the good old days, you started as a as a textbook rep, you know, and you carried a bag and you talked to professors and you tried to get them to adopt their books. And wow. and that and that was it, it just served me so well because um you know, a lot of things never change, right? And uh and the, the lessons that I learned um, served it served me ar- around listening to customers and really being in the market well through my career. I always at McGraw Hill though, um, talking about inspirational people, I worked with a woman who was leaving McGraw Hill and going to uh, run a publishing company uh, in Boston, and I was I thought, wow, that I. I would love to do that. That's that's what I would like to do. And I always had in my mind, I think that I wanted to be the general manager and to run a, a book publishing business. Yeah. And so just, I think, I think kind of setting those, you don't have to think about it all the time, but kind of setting those intentions for yourself yeah. um, really does help to, to manifest them. I, I feel, I feel strongly about that. And, and, Often I have career conversations with people that um, the hardest part of it um, is is helping them to articulate what it is they want from their career. And until until you're able to do that for yourself, it's very difficult for other people to help you. Um, Because nobody can figure that out for you. You you really have to um, on your own. Uh, so it was a, it was a series then of just serendipitous moments that kind of took me through um, through uh, different companies, but with a thread of this intersection of content and technology, which I was introduced to at McGraw Hill when I became responsible for the content on a custom publishing system called Primus, which was the first electronic custom publishing system. Wow. And yeah, that, so building on that really strong foundation of book publishing that I got at Golf, then that really, we started, you know, it's all about licensing and rights. I remember trying to have a conversation, uh, trying to license a lot of short stories to put into the database to allow people to build their own anthologies. And this is 1980, gosh, 87, 86, so long ago. And I remember saying, saying to somebody um, about like, how, how could this, could, could, how could we get the rights? And she said, well, you could license it. And I'm thinking, what's a license? You know, <laughs> I, I didn't even understand the most basic kind of like, you know, so, but just um, that was the beginning of this idea of um, the intersection of content and technology. And that was really a thread throughout my, throughout my career. Amazing. Um, I just I've got the dog in the office so she's just she's just dreaming at the moment these things have to happen don't they she's yipping away (laughs) (laughs) so I just I just uh, I I thought she was excited over there although the the eraser from the from the whiteboard just popped it on her she's like what (laughs) oh dear this is this is this is why this is what makes these things so authentic and real (laughs) And I think that's like when you mentioned earlier about virtual, I think one thing that's been really good is that we're a lot more empathetic and we're a lot more, um, we're just used to, you know, someone's kids in the background or someone's I love that. goes past I love that. wax in their face, all that kind of stuff. We're just, I, yeah. Yeah. You get to see people in a way that you never would otherwise. And I, yeah, I love seeing the kids. That's my favorite. <laughs> Oh, I've had, I've had several of those conversations. In fact, the, 
for me, one of the most devastating was when when my daughter was two in lockdown last year, she's three now, and uh, she was potty training and I was on a call with someone like this and and she just gave me her potty with pee in it. And I was just like <laughs> talking to a client thinking, oh, thank you so much, darling. That's great. But I don't think my client wants to see. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. really real. <laughs> that's very real. That's super real. Oh, I think that scarred me. That has that's as authentic as it can get. Hopefully, it didn't scar your daughter, though. No, no, no. She knew none the wiser. She was just like, oh. and every time I'm like on the phone with client, she's like, hey, hey, <laughs> oh dear, brilliant. So, what have you been most proud of in your career? Uh, well, um, I've, I've had the opportunity to work on a lot of exciting projects. And when you have a product that really meets the needs of the market, you know, that is, there is nothing better. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, but we, um, you know, it, this kind of, that's kind of leads into my, the most challenging thing in my career is, as I moved from the product side um, and this, uh, that the, the exciting work around the content and technology, that's very product and, and process focused. Yeah. Um, And, and that it was a very challenging thing for me to move to a general management role, which is very people focused and very communication focused. And, um, uh, and of course, with product, you have to be you have to be focused on the customer. But when you're a general manager, the people you're you're basically working for the people that report to you in a way. Yeah. And making that shift, that external to internal shift, and um, took took a while for me to to do, and um, was 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 super challenging because I kept wanting to. I kept wanting to continue to be out, right? I kept kind of thinking of myself in a product role as opposed to yeah. as, as opposed to a, a, a general manager role. And products don't really talk back, do they? So, no, not at all, not at all. It's a different um, conversation, isn't it? It's a natural conversation because <laughs> you're talking to people. <laughs> yeah, it's a very it's a very different uh, conversation, and and you know people such we work with you know just such bright people they many of the people that come into this industry are coming with advanced degrees and coming with a um a a, uh, a culture of of scientific of scientific reasoning and dialogue and yeah. um you know intuition is not going to cut it right just because you're the general manager and you think that's so doesn't I'm not going to just accept that you know yeah. and so you um which is great right um but, but but you you know that culturally too was very uh uh different and challenging for me to kind of move to um move to one where you you it was much more data driven and you need to be able to articulate the reason the why behind uh the what uh effectively yeah um, and it's amazing that sometimes when you ask questions to a more wider community of where you work in your area and you say for example you know to someone about marketing ideas but you open it out to everybody it's quite astounding some of the ideas that are really solid, excellent ideas that you wouldn't have thought of that are really quite inspiring that come out of other departments that you just really wouldn't think. It's just that you're right. We work with some incredible people in so many different disciplines from so many different backgrounds. And I absolutely love this um, industry that we're in because it is very complex, but the people really make it. And yeah. I think that's what's been hard for me this past 18 months is that just not being able to see the people, you know, yeah. to, to say, oh, you know, at a conference, let's just pop out for a quick drink. Yeah. Let's go and have a cup yeah. of tea somewhere and just sit down and have a chat. Yeah. Yeah. And, and connect. 
Yeah. <laughs> the gossip is great. I know. That was another thing. Not, yeah, like not going to Frankfurt. Uh, oh, yeah. My last year of my retirement. Yeah. And in the gossip, the, the gossip is always, though, for me, surrounded in the like what's happening, like, yeah. you know, uh, oh, you yeah, know what's going on in the industry and what's going on in the market and who's yeah. doing what. And you can track, you know, people and um, their careers through responses to yeah. um, opportunities in the market. So yeah. it's 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 fascinating to it to is. to connect and. For pe- we were talking about this before coming on to um, onto the call. Um, for people that are younger in their career, they're going to have to figure out those opportunities for connections, yeah. right? Because um, unfortunately, you know, it, it, it's going to change. We're not yeah. going to the world. The world probably isn't going to go back to the way it was, at least for now, several years. So. Yeah, it's so important because you learn so much from from those networks. Yeah. And we also make very valuable friends. You know, I have people that, you know, we both work together that ProQuest who are still very much, you know, great friends at different organizations. And it's also a very incestuous industry. So, you know, most most of us are still in the industry, which is also really nice. So when you go to these conferences, when you go to these events, you see people that you know or used to work with, and that's really nice. I did find some gossip out the other day that was about 10 years old, but it still really shocked me. <laughs> it was just like when someone told me, I'm like, I'm like, what? And they're like, but do oh. you know this? I'm like, no. Oh my gosh. Oh, well, I can't wait. I can't wait to find out what that yeah, is. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what that is. Not on a live recording. Yeah, not yeah, not now. Right. <laughs> Everyone's going to be like, what is this? Like, uh, you know, what, what goes on tour stays on tour. So that's fine. Um, so um, what so what was your ultimate career goal? What was, yeah. So, um, well, I think I mentioned, you know, I always had in my head that I wanted to uh, run a, a, a publishing business. And um Boston, what a fabulous place to, oh, to yeah. do it. Uh, love, love, love that uh, living there. And so I, you know, I, I was so lucky in Elsevier, you know, it's just, I always admired from afar when we were working yeah. at ProQuest, we dealt with Elsevier so much. Um, yeah. So that, that, you know, it happened and it happened, um, in a, in a way that I was, I was very, very pleased about. And I certainly can't say, yeah, it was a great plan. And I, you know, yeah. executed on a plan. It was more serendipity. Then when I got to Elsevier, I knew I had in my head, um, an age that the, the kind of target age that I wanted to retire. And so I, you know, I think, for me, being at the end of my career, it, it's been important to figure out how do you leave a legacy? How do you how do you leave a job in a way that you feel like it's well done and you've positioned it for success into the future? Yeah. Um, a man that I worked uh, that hired me at Elsevier, who's well known in the industry, YSG, is such a uh, he's very inspirational and he thinks in, in such long time horizons, which I think for uh, academic publishers is really important for libraries yeah. is really important. You know, it's easy to kind of get caught up in the six months and a year, but you know, the books that we're working on have, you know, lifespans of decades, the authors yeah. that we, we work with same thing, you know, we work with them for, for decades. So you really, have to, I think, um, I'm rambling now. I don't even know no, what the no, question was, Lou. Not apology, but <laughs> but think about this. Uh, oh, your career. Yeah, think about it um, in terms of kind of time horizons and time spans. Yeah. And and that legacy and how what for me what did I want to accomplish before before retiring. Who's to say that you couldn't do your dream of actually setting up your own bespoke niche publishing company? Ah, Look, well, yes. The subject area. 
Well, that that's very that is very true. And that yeah. and that and I could, although I think you uh, that that you would be back in the work mode, right, Lou? And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you would. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> and there's the work-life balance, isn't there? But you know, I, I I mentioned this as an example a few times, but my mother in her late 40s retrained to be a solicitor. She'd been an interior designer, and then in her 50s she was a qualified solicitor, and um, and then she retired. But she, you know, did something that ultimately she wanted to do, and nowadays. We live so much longer than we used to do many years ago that actually when you think, well, I'm going to retire, but I still might have 20 or 30 years. So maybe I might like a little project on the side where maybe I publish like, you know, a book a year. Well, that's not going to be too much hindrance, is it? No, no, it isn't. But I, yes, (laughs) I. uh, Who knows? (laughs) <laughs> well, I'd have to get you to market it for me. Part of, you can, <laughs> I, I could certainly publish a book a year. I'm not sure anybody would want to buy it. But uh, well, is, when, <laughs> I think if you did some publishing industry related, you know, books for publishing industry professionals, I think you'd probably have a good bestseller there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, well. I've been thinking about what I want to do in my retirement and it's definitely going to have, I mean, I will continue to work um, in in the industry in some way, shape or form. I'm working with NISO on a standard that we would like to have adopted across the publishing industry that is really tries to move us on from this print-based markup world that we're in to yeah. something that really supports the electronic um, exchange of, of data and information and, and context. And to me, that's a, that's a super exciting thing. That that's, would be excellent. That would yeah. be so needed. Yeah, I think so too. And I, so that's the kind of stuff that really energe- really energizes yeah. um, me. And so I plan to continue that's quite a legacy as well to leave. But, you know, even doing these type of podcasts or, you know, these type of interviews and things like that, you know, you're still leaving that legacy. And the great thing now, when, because we live in such a digital era, is I was thinking about this the other day in terms of, like, you know, your children when you're when you're gone, they're going to be able to see, you know. Isn't that true? Yeah and, yeah. and I think that's really lovely for them to say, you know, this was mum in work mode. And um, yeah. oh, there's things about mum talks about here that she never told me. <laughs> so, yeah, it's well, a way for that better or worse, for yeah. better or worse. It's all captured on the internet, on the Internet. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think there's definitely some photos of me with some, you know, some 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 side profiles that I'm like, oh, no. What, why did you take a photo of me uh, like that? And you tagged me in it. Oh, no. It's uh, I know. Online. I, it's forever online. It's it's embarrassing. I don't even Google myself for that reason. I'm like, I don't want to know. <laughs> Isn't it bad? Oh, no, not at all. Um, so if money was no object, you know, you were super rich, you're a billionaire, what would you do? Um, go to space. I'd go to, oh, that's what I'd do. I'd go, I'd, yeah, I just, I'd buy my own rocket ship and go to, go to space. Uh you know, I, it's, I'm, money in a way isn't an object. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure that I, that, that is a thing that defines what I would do. Yeah. Um, and I have been giving a lot of time and attention to what it is I'm going to do because suddenly I have time to do it. And your life can get frittered away by just, yeah. you know, just the day-to-day kind of insanity if you're not very careful. And now time is my most precious asset, right? Yeah. So yeah. my I'm 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 really trying to focus on kind of my own growth, my own internal growth, um, and putting in a daily practice around um, meditation and mm. and I have for a couple of years now and and but yoga and trying to you know develop the spiritual side of of my 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 life so that's really not a money you know money really doesn't make a difference there in fact money could inhibit that um yeah 
uh, so, um, yeah, I don't think I'd go to the moon. I think I'm, I'll leave that to Jeff Bezos. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> his brother. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll go to the universe internally as opposed to externally. I think it's a much better place to be honest. And I, you know, I think meditation and, you know, breathing and that kind of stuff, some people are like, oh, but actually I, I find it so powerful. Um, I do meditation every evening before I go to bed because otherwise my brain is like this. And yeah. so I just do, you know, I just listen to my headspace and I just do 10 minutes and, and usually I fall asleep before it's finished. Um, yeah. So that's, that's a really helpful and thing. Em- yeah. Emptied it, empty I it have out. To, I have well, to shut off. Else, It's very hard not to shut off. I think we're really seeing, I was talking to my husband who is an editor of, for major reference works at Springer and they're doing a, um, in, uh, a major reference work on Buddhism and mindfulness. So, mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's, I mean, think about that, you know, it's going to, I, it's, it's gained a level of popularity, maybe yeah. that's not the right word that it's becoming, you know, an encyclopedia. More in demand, a library. Yeah. 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 So I'm really hoping that, you know, enough people shift this, we can yeah. kind of deescalate this, this crazy amount of tension that we've managed to build for ourselves as as a society. Yeah, I think the mental health aspect, I mean, you were talking about um, an athlete earlier, an Olympian. And I think what's really interesting is when you look at some of these athletes now that are trying to take a step back and they're saying, I need to for my mental health. And it's the fact that there is the same stigma, stigma around mental health isn't there. You know, we're all a little bit more accepting. And I think certainly in the last 18 months, a lot of us have been pushed so far to the brink that when someone does say you are a little bit more right, okay, you know, I'll I'll back off or what can I do to help you? So you're a lot more sympathetic. And because I think most of us have been through it. And even those of us who hadn't so much been through it before, suddenly, you know, when certainly this last 18 months you're suddenly like oh wow I really get how people must feel now I've just had a snippet of what someone who suffers with depression feels like I've just had a very small snippet but wow so yeah Yeah, it's really so important and and incredibly powerful it is it is to that acceptance for somebody can really make a difference I um I had had the you know, just a really hard experience of working with somebody that had major depression and ended up um, taking his own life. And it was one of the things that I learned from that was um, I couldn't, I, you know, you have to address it in some ways head on as a colleague to to help. You have to be you're brave enough to open up the conversation with somebody who's, who's, who's suffering. And it's, it's such a hard thing, but back to what you were saying, Lou, that acceptance and that willingness to, to be there for people is, is, and in a work setting, uh, not just a personal setting is, it's really important. I think we recognize it more as well. We recognize specific symptoms because a lot of these people are suffering very much internally and everything on the outside is great and rosy. And it's like when you say to someone, how are you? And they go, yeah, great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, It's when someone says, okay, I'm like, "Mm," then I'll have a chat. But it's, um, yeah, I think, I think, I think um, a lot more conversation is being had and, and so it should. And it's very sad to hear that that was the outcome, but you know, you can only do so much for someone um, and ultimately the rest lies with them. Yeah. That's very sad. Um, So going on to books, because you know, we love books. Now I usually ask this question and I say, what three inspiring professional books would you say are must read and why? But some people say to me, you know what, no, I don't read professional books. Mm. Um, uh, so I love these books. So it could be professional. It could be just books that you've loved throughout your life. What would you yeah. say? 
Well, I did take it more on the professional right. route. And, and Answer my yeah, question so. I ask it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the first one is uh, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Are you familiar with uh, Brene Brown? Uh, well, she's, she's a Houston professor who has um, gained just kind of a worldwide uh, following um, after a TED talk that she gave, which uh, you can Google. And yeah. it's very interesting because it, it goes back to what we were just talking about. Like it lives in infamy in the internet. And, you know, I don't even Google myself because I don't want to see it. She was mortified, I, you know, by the performance, but it ended up being just, you know, one of these kind of catalytic moments. And her... Um, her, her book is around leadership and a word that we talk about, it's probably getting overused, but authenticity and leadership and how you can um, really uh, by, by, again, being true to yourself in a way, really change um, the dynamic that you have as a leader uh, with yeah. those around you. Um, the next one uh, is a book that I found personally very helpful when I was thinking about uh, what was happening around the race riots earlier uh, in 2020, which is How to Be an Anti-Racist by a man, Abreem X. Uh, Kendi, I hope I'm saying that correctly, yeah. uh, who has recently been appointed to uh, Boston University as um, running his own um, anti-racist um, kind of center. And it talks about um, anti-racism as, you know, accepting the differences in racism and races and understanding the differences between that and in the systemic races, racism that's kind of built into society uh, through our legislation and culturally and it was very helpful to me to oh. uh, that book um, and really eye-opening. Um, and the last one, uh, especially for women, I think you can agree with her or not. Um, you could agree with Facebook or not, but Sheryl Sandberg and Lena yeah. uh, is, is kind of the same ilk. It, it gives a view toward it gave a view to me toward the hurdles that women really uh, have to overcome in the workplace in order to, uh, in order to have uh, kind of a common footing. And some of the most difficult conversations I had as a manager and missteps that I made were in, in not, I think, fully appreciating that my understanding, my worldview, <laughs> was yeah. not shared, was not a universal worldview, yeah. right? And, yeah. and that there, um, um, these books really, I think, helped me to, to, to see that. It's the, the second book that you talked about really does resonate with me because I must read that. In fact, I'm going to read all three, but, or listen to all three, hopefully there's audio books of them, because I find it very challenging sometimes how to speak in certain situations because I'm not sure if the language is going to be correct and I'm right. second guessing myself and language that's used in the US can be different to what's used in the UK and I find it all very confusing and, and, it, and it doesn't matter what type of person that I'm speaking to um, it's, it's like you know I could I think for example if someone is um, doesn't recognize themselves as being a gender. So they're gender neutral. Right. I'm right. then thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I, I really don't want to say something that is going to offend that person. And then I get so worked up in my head and I'm so conscious of what I'm saying. I'm like, oh, and yeah. uh, things don't come out quite as I want them to, because I'm so worried. But I know that when I speak to people, they'll say to me, well, the fact that you're trying is great. But right. that doesn't that, that helps away, but it doesn't really help me because I'm still like, I just want the tools to be able to confidently speak without upsetting someone, but knowing that I can do that. And actually that that second book that you mentioned 
would be very key for me in certain situations. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, um, uh, it's such a minefield, isn't it? And, um, you don't want to offend people, but one of the, one of my big takeaways from that last, from that, from from these conversations that we've had around race and gender is it's, it's the conversation that's important. And, uh, and so I wouldn't, I wouldn't dismiss that, Lou, yeah. in terms of it's, oh, yeah, absolutely. it's in the connection. It's progression, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah, it it's is. It's going in the right direction. And it's like Simon would then say to us, and don't forget disability. Um, and don't forget disability. Because, but you, it's whatever the media is focusing on at the moment is what's on the front of people's minds. And so every, um, every one of these different um, topics needs to have their limelight, their time to shine and people to talk about things because that is how we move forward. And that is how things change and things happen. Yeah. And it happens so quickly. Things that were just unheard of 30 or 40 years ago, like gay marriage, suddenly it's like, yeah, that's totally, it's just very accepted. So uh, I think, yeah, it's. um, I'm excited for the world that my daughter's going to grow up in when I have conversations with her and I don't know where some of them come from sometimes when she says, but boys can't play with dolls. And I'm like, why not? I know. <laughs> you know? I know. So someone's obviously saying that to her somewhere because it's not coming from me. Um, and I, and I'm excited for her to grow up in a more accepting world where you're not always looking at someone for how they look or how they act or, or where they're from. It's going to be more about just embracing people. So yeah, for them, I think yeah. that's going to be exciting. Yeah, I agree. Exciting and challenging uh, at the same time, because those guardrails, like them or not, gave people at least a a framework for, yeah, um, yeah, for behavior that. um, But hopefully some behavior will become even more unacceptable as she grows up. Exactly. And it is. So that would be very interesting. So. Do you have a favorite book or podcast or blog that you like to read? Obviously, it's not going to be industry related anymore unless you want to keep up with stuff. No. Yeah, it's um, I think for um, uh, Krista Tibbet, who does On Being, is I listen to probably the most consistently. And she really is. Fo- she's a journalist, but focused on on the big questions of, you know, why are we here? Uh, and the mysteries of life, which yeah. um, you don't really, you know, business for the most part is all about, you know, you don't want mystery in business. So it's uh, it's a nice kind of um, counterbalance to that, yeah. to, to look at those big questions. You're never um, going to answer that question, are you? The mysteries of life. No, so many no you're not. Keep happening as, we, <laughs> as time goes on. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating, though. It's uh, you have to learn, and in getting back to our meditation and, and yoga, mm. you have to be comfortable in that kind of unknown and unknowing, and in, uh, in the inability to answer some of those big questions. Absolutely. So, if you were to go back in a time machine to your early career self, what would you tell yourself? Ah, uh, spend more time with your children. Yeah, it's uh, it's too it goes just too fast, and yeah. I have so much admiration for people who are really good at um, good at managing uh, that work life balance. And yeah. for me, it was children, but it could be your pet, it could be your partner, it could be yeah. the thing that you love doing. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, that that would be my advice. My business coach, Nathan Bruger, once gave me some really great advice. It was last year, actually. And he said to me, it's not about the quantity of time that you're spending. It's the quality of time. So rather than spending a few hours and your child is there, as an example, and they're on their tablet or you're on your phone, answering emails, whatever. If you actually just sat down at a table and had dinner together, or if you spent that half an hour, hour, concentrated dedicated yeah, time on them doing something exactly 
that's going to bring be so much more valuable to them than you sitting there answering work yeah. emails and then yeah. on the tablet and you're like oh yeah yeah right. so I could I could fit that half an hour hour to concentrate that time and then I wouldn't feel so guilty and they yeah. get much more out of it yeah. I, I that's great advice I and yeah. I totally agree with I totally agree with that and um it's just way too easy for all of us to have our nose and our phones and yeah. um oh it's terrible yeah. isn't it Mm-hmm. When you just go to a restaurant and you look around and and oh. you see couples that are just like like this, yeah, yeah, and you're oh, like, the whole family, even like yeah, the two year old has got their nose in a phone. So yeah, that's yeah, I um yeah, that would that's, be my advice. Get your nose out of your phone and yeah, exactly <laughs> with your kid. So what's the best advice you've ever been given? Well, my, so this is like where I am in my career, but uh, a girlfriend to me uh, said around retirement, set a date and stick to it. Um, And so I know there's a lot of people out there that just love to work and they will work until, until they're no longer capable of it. But many people, you know, there's a, there's a world outside of work. And so planning um, for those of us that are on the other side of that kind of career arc, um, planning for your retirement and, you know, being like anything in your career, the, the, you know, having a plan and working it, it may work, it may not work, but at least you feel like you are, um, have agency in what's happening to you as opposed yeah. to things being happened happening to you. And that requires, of course, having, having an opinion about what it is you want to achieve or do, or when say you'd like to retire. And that requires some really thoughtful thing. You know, just, you have to, you have to be thoughtful about that. Yeah. I think that's absolutely spot on. I, I don't think it matters whatever time of career you're at. I think that's a really important goal to have because because you want to, the longer you have to build up for whatever you need to build up to, to be able to retire, the longer you can give yourself, the better. But actually, I think that that's a really important thing. And, and it does make, because I think about that now, I'm like, you know, when do I, what do I want to have achieved by then? And what do I need to do to do that? So I think that's excellent advice. So what's your number one tip for anyone working in marketing right now? Well, it kind of goes back to where we started, which is um, spending as much time as you can with whoever your customer or your client is. Um, And in the industry that we work with in academic um, and scholarly publishing, there is just so much happening. There's so many new technologies. There's so many new products. There's so many new ways of working. Um, There's that you know, if you're out of touch with any of that, you are having the wrong conversation with the people who really matter the most to you. And uh, I'll give you a very, this is such an easy thing, but it's, well, it's a, um, I, you mentioned Mary Sour Games earlier. She and I are very close, um, but we wouldn't necessarily have to be in order for this to happen. She said, I am getting ready to, I'm trying to launch a product into scholarly publishing. I know you, Suzanne, work for a scholarly publisher. Will you please, um, will you please take 30 minutes to talk to me and my team? Yeah. And so within 30 minutes of having a conversation about a really kind of, you know, this is what we're thinking. This is what we think the space is like. This is, um, we made them aware of some things that, you know, we just took as a matter of course yeah. that they, they didn't know about because they weren't in our space. And so that it's just so powerful. Very. Um, yeah. So that it's, would be my yeah. I mean, that's very important. And it's amazing the insights that you learn from people that you just didn't think about that may actually adjust the way that you're building your product, all the things that you're doing and you're suddenly like, oh, I didn't think about that. Now, I know that we're very um, tight on time, so I just want to ask you very quickly, what do you miss most since the COVID-19 pandemic? Just people face to face, you know, and just all of the friends and colleagues and seeing them uh, 
in, in a room, you know, over at hundred percent with you. Drink. It's just they're just yeah. That's been that's been hard. Absolutely, hundred percent with you there. That's my biggest thing too. So Suzanne, I'd like to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. You have been a superstar. It's been really fascinating. So thank you so, so much. And those that, yeah, for giving me this opportunity and for all of you that made it to the end of this, thank you for, thank you for (laughs) listening and giving me the space. So anything that Suzanne has mentioned or talked about, we provide links to. And so you'll find that in the description or in the transcription. So thank you very much. Thank you, Lou. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you.